Welcome to the Launch Metrics podcast series, Fashion Talks, where we connect with today's industry leaders to share insights and advice on all things fashion. I'm Tom Watshot, the Managing Director of Northern Europe and Middle East here at Launch Metrics. We've developed the leading brand performance cloud for fashion, luxury, and beauty execs to measure and optimize their brand performance. Uh, we do that by applying a combination of technology and data analysis. I have the absolute pleasure today of talking to the award-winning journalist and fashion critic, Stefan Rabamoff. He's formerly the contributing editor at the Huffington Post and the New York Observer, and he's now the contributing style and beauty editor at Forbes USA and editor-at-large at L'Officiel Austria. Last but not least, he's the founder and editor-in-chief of the niche Russian fashion, uh, Russian-American sorry, fashion publication, Depesha. Thank you, Stefan, for taking the time to join us today. Hello, Tom, and um, thank you so much for bringing me on board. Uh, I'm a big fan of Lunch Metrics and um, how exciting it is to be a part of your podcast. Thank you. Obviously, today we're here to talk uh, in depth around fashion and, uh, and the, sort of the, the crazy new world we live in today. Um, we've broken up this podcast into three main blocks. So we're going to start with the changes and the new normal. Uh, then we'll have a little look at the future of fashion journalism and, uh, and obviously the new role models that are out there. And also then we're going to have a little bit at the end where we're going to discuss what brands can, can learn from this and, uh, and you know, what do they look to now or what, what sort of data do they look to now in order to make decisions in the future. But I think we can start with something a bit more, a bit more jolly. Um, face masks, the new must-have accessory, as everybody knows, uh, legally enforced in a lot of places. But what do you make of these, Stefan? What's your, what's your sort of feeling on face masks? And uh, have you seen any kind of uh, standout examples which, which deserve a bit of a, a bit of conversation on our podcast today? Uh, well, I'll begin by encouraging everybody to wear one. Uh, it's the best way to keep the virus at bay and hopefully to tackle this global, this pandemic. Um, one designer that comes to mind for me is the French uh, fashion uh, wunderkind, Marine Serret. You know, she, for the last two years, she's been causing social media controversy with the way she was presenting her um, masked models on the Parisian runways. And, but part of it was her drive to create masks as a fashion designer way ahead of the coronavirus pandemic mm-hmm. was because of the pollution she was facing as a cyclist riding on the streets of Paris. She just wanted to protect herself uh, yeah. and her health. And obviously, uh, now her designs uh, feature high-grade built-in filters, and and obviously it's extremely relevant for for our current situation. Oh yeah, indeed. And yeah, although the masks are enforced, uh, they're they're obviously a, a trend which we're we're kind of watching with bated breath around the world. And it's interesting, you you, you know, you've you've travelled the world, uh, you know, thirty fashion weeks. Um, I guess, 10 years worth of experience going to these different fashion weeks and in, in, in different areas of the world. And obviously nowadays we, we can't physically travel to these places, but mm-hmm. when you used to travel to these emerging markets and uh, got to go and experience these fashion weeks firsthand, what, what was it that most excited you? And um, which is your favorite fashion capital to follow? You know, my, my journey to fashion uh, began while I was working at the United Nations. And um, my studies at Columbia University focused on emerging financial markets. So I think in many ways that interest in 
countries that are building themselves up, markets that are that are being born, um, have always interested me. Um, and then once I started kind of focusing on fashion, I uh, had a pleasure of combining my interest in kind of the emerging business and trade markets and the interest in fashion together by visiting places like Malaysia, uh, Turkey, Russia, you know, and, and the list goes on uh, throughout the world. Uh, and of course, experiencing the emerging fashion firsthand. I think what draws me uh, to these markets, a uh, couple of things. One is uh, having lived in New York City for uh, 13 years, uh, I feel spoiled by the, the New York Fashion Week and what I see there. The and and correct, the, the, yeah. it's maybe, you know, the, the notion of jaded New Yorker is real. <laughs> yeah. And so, but, but, but going to these emerging markets, I actually get a chance to see something absolutely fresh. Uh, unspoiled by the, you know, global competition. Unspoiled by fast fashion uh, phenomenon. Because, like, for example, when I... We're in countries like um, Russia or Georgia or Ukraine. Even a couple of years ago, they, they didn't have Zara and H&M, yeah. which is amazing because these local designers, they didn't have to compete with fast fashion. So yeah. they had a chance to develop their talent and, and really create something unique and creative. And I, I, I love being there and, and watch that um, develop. And when I had a chance to go to uh, last fall to Hungary, to Budapest and, and their fashion week, you know, I had no expectations, uh, but I came back absolutely blown away by the local talent mm. um, and the bubble of the designers that uh, work and operate in Budapest had, had featured so many influences because it's in the central Europe, right? It's dominated by so many different cultures and languages um, that are crisscrossing the, the capital. And then the same thing in Tbilisi, in Georgia. Um, I saw more connection between New York fashion and Tbilisi fashion than I saw connection between Tbilisi fashion and its regional neighbors which wow. to me says so much about the potential of these emerging emerging markets. Yeah. Uh, sadly, a lot of the, the future at the moment is uh, has a, a bit of a hue above it, a cloud, if you will. And with some reports coming out that up to maybe 30% of our you know, tier mm -hmm. one fashion brands out there potentially facing some, some difficult times ahead, um, what do you think is the most significant change or challenge for a brand now? What are these sort of key issues in your opinion? Uh, you know, it's a million dollar question, <laughs> um, but I'd say, uh, you know, the truth is that 2020 was not looking good uh, yeah. for the state of fashion, even before the coronavirus impacted the market. Um, I would imagine the ongoing changes in the supply chains and kind of consumer behavior has forced many brands to kind of face this disorienting future and kind of try to adapt to a fashion system that's really no longer exists. Um, so for me, this new normal doesn't have an expiration date. Um, yeah. it, in, in, and I believe in order to survive and evolve, in, industry really need to be turning 
to the internet for creative and business possibilities, especially uh, for developing markets. Um, uh, and I would imagine that the kind of uh, the big post-COVID priorities uh, are probably driven, uh, at least you know from my perspective, by the aspiration to eliminate textile waste and focus on kind of sustainability, yeah. helping strengthen um, our world's health. Yeah, and the, you know the push for ethical fashion and the lifestyle within that you know, persona is, is also obviously driving a bit of the change it's interesting to sort of you look at the not just the coronavirus but this change as like a, a catalyst if you will for change within the industry and you say you look to the internet for motivation but also look at the technologies available now you know look at you know, the evolution of ar gamification of the shopping experience e-commerce has evolved and is now combining the physical retail experience with online it, the, i guess the processes that are developing as a result of this uh, potential hardship are really exciting uh, absolutely and when i say look to the internet uh, i meant it as a kind of a, a space a platform where all these things are being shared and talked about and and kind of um presented so you're absolutely right the uh, technology in many ways is our friend not a foe yeah if if applied correctly and in many ways fashion industry at large uh, really uh, shied away from the technological innovations and revolution that they really should have should have happened decades ago to be honest i think actually that's a fairly natural segue into our, the sort of second part of the podcast which is talking about the development of a, a storytelling within uh, within fashion journalism and, and and the role models within the the field i guess um where would you say the biggest area of opportunity now lies when it comes to uh, this sort of influencer space, the, the, the way the, the, the sort of market's developing in that space? Um, well, one thing is important to, to remember is that um, the last study that I, I read shows that if you, uh, it takes about 10,000 hours to practice something, to become an expert in, in anything. Yeah. Um, so it comes to me as no surprise with the amount of television and internet viewing combined with social media and mobile technologies that consumers are quickly becoming fashion experts. So to me, um, really the future of uh, kind of the influencer industry is the result of that. These are the consumers who have become the fashion experts who are now have a voice in, in the industry. Yeah. So I expect more of that, right? Every day, you know, there's 10,000 more 1 million uh, follower Instagram uh, accounts uh, that pop up, you know? So I would imagine uh, more, more of that. Um, but also uh, on the other side, uh, I would imagine the new normal is also this kind of new conscious consumer. Yeah. Um, brands, uh, in my view, I think brands still take customers for granted, uh, but we are much smarter than that. Um, and when, and you know, of course, when someone said, may, may we live in uh, interesting times, probably didn't mean the global pandemic, no. but, not, but at the same time, uh, the kind of the confluence of all of this, the global pandemic, the rise of conscious consumer, the um, uh, 
the rise of influencers slash fashion experts, you know, democratization of this entire field is a huge warning for the fashion industry establishment. They yeah. should be worried. They should be nervous about uh, losing their market share. Yeah, 100%. And, and you've, you've sort of nailed something there, which I think is really important. If, if, you know, if the consumer is the critic, which have, at the end of the day they are, how do you continue to engage them in ways which are more exciting, more, uh, you know, we discuss at Launchmetrics, creating shareable experiences and then ensuring mm-hmm. that they, they reach the right people. Um, I did a lot of work with a, a large European brand who referred, on their e-commerce, they referred to their consumer or their customers as guests, which I thought was a wonderful way to look at, you know, people coming to the website, you know, they're, they're a guest for the time they're with you. You need to make that experience uh, whatever it might be in, in that case, it's obviously to, to drive people into the, the, the retail side of it and to spend money. But you know, that's something which is hugely important. Um, so you were once the, uh, the, the first niche Russian American fashion publishers. So you launched your magazine, is it Depesha in New York city yes, in yeah. Russian and in English. Yes. And that, so that gave you a platform and began to, I, I assume you began to give people the ability to tell their stories through your platform. How do you, yeah, just talk, talk to me a little bit about that. Like, that's uh, really exciting. Um, you know, when you live in New York City, uh, you've got to have a ticket to its social life. And I felt <laughs> if I would launch a fashion magazine, then I get to go to all the cool parties. And that's precisely what happened. And that is the um, best reason I've ever heard for launching any type of a platform. Yeah, why not? You've got to have fun with it. Um, but yeah. then, you know, a couple of seasons later, I, I realized wow, I actually have to write stories. (laughs) (laughs) I actually have to publish the magazine. I have to um, be the person that I am telling people that I I am. And and so that's how kind of the real Depeche was born. And um, for eight years, uh, we produced uh, content about emerging designers, about emerging artists, uh, uh, underground talent, folks that are bubbling uh, under the surface, just under the radar. But I'm gonna name a um, couple names for you and you'll be like, wait a moment, these are huge prominent names today. Tom Brown, Custer Barcelona, Mary Catrazao. I mean, the, the list goes on. Uh, Prabal Gurung, uh, I mean, these are the folks that we wrote uh, many years ahead of, of their um, kind of pop, 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 popularity. Um, and, and I love that fact that we were able to uh, curate the, the content um, and, and write about prominent figures of today before they, they became such. Um, but, you know, one interesting thing is the internet, in, the internet cannot be uninvented. And so, uh, in many ways, yeah, uh, say, we, I think we can we can all accept that now. <laughs> yeah, right. And in many ways, I think it has become the driver for me to look past the print publishing and really towards the digital domain. Yeah. Um, you know, back in college when I was an undergraduate, I had I was running um, uh, Oregon State University's first online radio station. That was in 1999. And I'm very proud of the fact, even though it's you know super old, because it, it kind of shows the visionary aspect, a little bit of 
the work that I do and, and it's exciting. And I just really hope that um, uh, there, you know, there will always be space for people to influence and, and kind of lead the change. And I really think that the, the, the internet and the social media platforms is, is where this change is really fueled. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, having a digital first approach, or at least now being equipped with technology, you, you touched on this earlier, but for, for the fashion industry to kind of get out of its, its sort of older ways and to look at the, uh, the potential of the net in a different way, oh, the, the, you know, the, the potential of the market that's there, the, the melting pot of ideas, the, the ability just to communicate. You know, look at us talking now from the other side of the world. Uh, it, it really has made the world a lot smaller, but then equally brings with it a few challenges. What would you say is the biggest change from eight years ago when you set up Depeche mm -hmm. to now, what's the biggest change in the way people have told their stories online? It's, it's not so much about, I don't come back to, to that question, but I really think it's the audience has changed. Right. You know, it's not so much uh, the, the modes, the modes of delivering the story absolutely have changed and they will continue changing. Every time there's a new technology on the market, you know, augmented reality, virtual reality, you know, you name it. Um, uh, storytellers jump onto those trains way, way ahead of the mass market. And they're the ones bringing that technology to the mass market. I mean, look at the New York Times immersive storytelling. For mm -hmm. me, those articles, I mean, they're at least a decade old that, that uh, uh, T-Studio Lab work. Um, they were always to me like this aspirational storytelling. Um, the way they put together their multimedia presentations. But now I, I look at them and then look at what we have in 2020 and they look so dated and, yeah. and old. You've already evolved. Years ahead. Correct. Yeah. So the modes, the modes will always be changing, but it's the audience that, that is really at the heart of making sure these things stick. And, yeah. um, and as a journalist, uh, and, and as brands, let's talk about as brands, you know, not understanding, not knowing your audience is, is one of the biggest shortfalls any brand could have for, for their success. Of course. Yeah. 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 And if, yeah, if you don't, I, I guess it comes back to, you can, you, your designs and everything that you create, if they are altruistic, if they're permanent, if they're only really looking internally and looking at, at yourselves rather than what you're, what you're, essentially what the audience wants to see you do have to pander to them a little bit in order to deliver uh, the results so, you know you need to make sure you're reaching out across the right mediums with the right messages uh, it's a, it's like uh, beating the dead horse yeah you <laughs> when i bring up the example of myspace but it's the audience that left yeah you know what i mean um and I would imagine uh, same with same things with the brands there's no guarantee that uh, Chanel or Dior or any other big established brands that existed for 100 years will be there in the next 100 years, precisely because of the audience change. Yeah, yeah, and evolving with the audience is the only way to survive post-Darwinism, technological Darwinism. Um, I, I actually, I read an article recently written by one of the models talking about whether their job was at risk due to AR, and you've also written a book around this phenomenon. So the, the, the rise of the virtual model uh, whether in VR or AR, depending on, again, which of the, the sort of uh, mediums you go for. 
let's have a little chat about that because it's it's for me it's a very exciting phenomenon but it's also i guess for a lot of people quite quite scary that you know the the non-biometric person could be the one that's influencing a decision for someone to make a purchase or a change of style or a, you know, a complete change of look. Um, my, list, my recent reviews of virtual models for Forbes magazine made me realize that AI can be extremely beautiful. <laughs> um, but I want to say it is, that- you it know, pandering, It's pandering to your needs, Stefan. That's what it, it, it is. Perhaps, but at the end of the day, you know, our only interaction with influencers, whether real or virtual, is through the content they create. Yeah. Um, so for me, a virtual influencer ultimately could be indistinguishable from a real flesh and blood person on social media, uh, especially from the perception of the audience. And this is where I already hear the, this music coming in. We're all living in the simulation <laughs> kind of conversation, right? Um, it's the think, Matrix now. Let's, let's keep it PG. <laughs> if Shakespeare wrote the Matrix, we'll all be the game players in it. Um, but I want to say that the, kind of the right creative team behind uh, virtual influencers is is the key because they have to play the role and live up to our expectation. You're right. So it's not this old do as told. It's mostly now be as designed. Um, so this is the main reason um, why companies turn to virtual influencers. Let me give you a couple of reasons why. You know, it assures safety and reliability for what the influencers does, says, and promotes. Yeah. Where, when, and how, because they're in absolute control, right? The famous five W's of efficient communications are all at the hand of the team that's designing this virtual influencer. Not only uh, you can manage the frequency of posting and the topics they focus on, think about CGI reduces the risk that someone sneezes in the middle of their live stream on Instagram. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Just to give you kind of a super and basic uh, quality control, right? Absolutely. And um, and never out of line, which is uh, think about Kanye West moments um, or Tiger Woods. I mean, there's I can give you the list goes on of yeah. of, of issues that can be uh, that could happen with specific influencers. Um, so for me, I feel like. Uh, the rise of virtual influencers is, is a bit of a win-win, both for customers and, and the audience, for brands and the audience. Well, before we get stuck into the sort of the final stage and, and have a little look at what the learnings are going to be and moving forward, I wanted to touch on um, the the academic mm -hmm. sort of area of your work. And um, you, you actually developed the first social media center for for students. Was it for designers, creatives? Talk me through that project and how that came to fruition? Um, I consider myself an, an, an avid academic. And, and what, I, what I mean by that is, you know, a lifelong learner, and I believe in the culture of knowledge sharing. That's kind of want to lead with that. And when I joined um, a, a university out in, in California, one of the leading um, uh, fashion institutions in the United States, uh, I was surprised to learn that in 2015, when I came on board as a director of their fashion journalism program, that the internet and, and social media and everything that positive that it could bring to a journalist's toolbox was not taught. 
And so, of course, um, what I did is let, I, I literally let go of everybody that was teaching in my program and hired an entirely new team of visionaries that believe in the, in the power of digital tools. And so for me, uh, and we call that program uh, Social Media Center, uh, and that brought in partners like Reddit and Weebly and Flipboard and Tumblr, because these companies not only have millions of followers around the world, they're also interested in cultivating and strengthening the journalistic toolbox because these are research tools anyway yeah. you spin it. Yeah. And so in, in many ways, I think kind of fashion journalism, when I joined, um, uh, you know, this program uh, was in the tectonic, uh, kind of the fault lines of tectonic shifts in media production and consumption. Hmm. And kind of this competition for delivering information for designers, uh, from designers to readers, um, you know, was starting to lose its credibility and something needed to, to change. And, um, and for me, the best example is when Susie Mankus, the kind of the reverend mother of fashion criticism, has finally joined the Instagram <laughs> <laughs> and started reporting from backstage and various personality insights. And one of my famous sayings in the classroom when I would walk in teaching fashion blogging to freshmen, for example, I would say writing for Vogue, what used to be once an end all prerogative is no longer enough to maintain the zeitgeist clout. So, and that really blew their minds because of course, you just put um, them upside down on the first day of lessons. Because everybody wants to be Anna Wintour. And I'm trying to explain to them that you can be better than Anna Wintour by creating your own media universe, um, your own influence, and your own path to storytelling using the newly available digital tools uh, at hand. Yeah, the toolbox has changed and evolved. It's time to reach into it and use it. But you know what? Some things aren't that different. Um, storytelling is still at the core of fashion and at the heart of journalism, right? It's just the modes of putting it together and delivering have changed. But, you know, we still have to uh, ask the right questions, uh, do the fact checking, uh, package the story in meaningful, logical way that creates engagement and uh, and and. and delivers the information in, in, in a kind of digestible way. Yeah, and actually that leads us quite neatly into the final stage of this podcast where we're going to talk about like what we're learning at the moment and what the future kind of holds, I guess. And one of the things I wanted to touch on was the ability to engage and invoke emotions without physically being in front of someone, right? So obviously fashion and the design yeah. and the creative element of what goes into these designs is supposed to be seen in the flesh or on a runway normally and we obviously the there's a bit of a change to the norm now so what, what do you see as the, the new norm when it comes to these sort of designs and how do you think that the creatives are going to start to to get these new designs out there in the in the new norm i think this is a perfect moment to say to all my friends around the world that i miss them very much and that i miss fashion week uh, live fashion week experience and i'm really looking forward to the time when we can all get together on the front rows and, and catch up in person and see fashion in person. 
But that said, you have to remember, at least for me, when I was sitting front row watching fashion shows, no matter where I was in the world, there would be hundreds of people surrounding me with their phones up in the air, yeah. streaming the show back to their friends and audiences uh, on their social media platforms. So for every person in, that's physically in that room, there's a thousand people that are watching it uh, yeah. through a digital screen. So the phenomenon of watching and experiencing fashion through the lens of digital is, isn't new. Um, but I'll say the following, to engage and evoke emotions per question without physically being present there, one has to ask a lot of questions. So me as a journalist, I pick up the phone, I set up a Zoom call or a Skype call or a WhatsApp call, and I just ask, ask, ask. What is it made of? What were you inspired by? You know, what, uh, what some of the um, collaborations that were created, you know, where the ideas come from? what have you. And ultimately, everybody has a, a story to tell that, that tends to be that emotional connection that we get to share in together. Yeah, and I think that's a, a lovely sort of segue there as well, like it, sharing the experience, the design, or a, something which has you know, evoked an emotion and you're sharing it is creating uh, that storm in a teapot, if you will, which otherwise you know, you're missing in the physical sense. So if it's a digital asset, if, it, if it's uh, something which you've been sent or you've seen, being able to share that with someone who you think will enjoy it and creating a connection that way, in the same way that someone at a physical show would have their phone up and would be recording it and streaming it potentially to people who are obviously interested, but you know they're just sort of engaging with a feed. If you're taking a one-to-one -one approach and sharing something with someone, surely that's creating a bit more of an emotional attachment. Absolutely, Tom, I'll give you an interesting example. Uh, you know, having been quarantined at home, right, due to the pandemic, and also we had wildfires uh, in Oregon. Well. So that yeah. really, we really got cooped up at home for weeks and weeks at a time. And I was like, I'm, uh, I need uh, a new fashion look. How do I go about acquiring that? Well, I went on Instagram, reached out to my favorite menswear designer, Artyom Shumov, who is based in Shanghai, China. And then we collaborated on the conversation. We, we had a conversation and then he uh, drew a little illustration of the look that he wants to create for me. We negotiated a prize. I PayPal'd him the money. He put together the look. He packaged it and sent it over to me via post. I received it in my post. I tried it on, everything looks great. And all of this happened through just means of digital communication and remotely. And I, I, so, and I got to hold the clothes and touch it and play with it That's and wear true. it now. So I think all is possible if there is a will and ingenuity from the other side. So I think consumers are willing to spend the money, willing to wait mm. if the thing is worth it and this is why I think, in many ways, bespoke clothes uh, are having huge return. Smaller productions, unique clothes that are made to measure, they're all going to have a huge comeback. Nobody wants to go to a fast fashion store and kind of uh, spend time in, among the crowds and in, and in, the, in line, risking, risking getting coronavirus. But beyond that, just... Uh, wasting time it's much easier to do things uh, on the go no there's definitely a trend towards the the more the, the more luxurious one-off pieces and stuff which is 
far more personalized you know even coming from an e-commerce background you saw the rise of personalization in the shopping experience we're now taking that to the next level where rather than buying 10 garments of fast fashion you're more likely to buy one piece which we're let's be honest we're not going out as often as we used to so you're not going to yeah, of course um which kind of gives it that again that more of an attachment which we, we kind of desire i guess with the with, the, with an article of clothing um, and and i want to just add to that it's not more expensive than going to a fast fashion store at the end of the day the economics dictate that 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 bespoke thing will serve you longer and yeah. will have a stronger roi uh, for your money what would you say is your biggest recommendation to a fashion brand in these uncertainable and sorry uncertain times uh, to help them develop in their market like what what's the sort of one standout thing you think that they should be focusing on in order to ensure they survive and succeed in the future well i don't necessarily subscribe to the school that we the, the things are uncertain or unpredictable because um, i feel like it's a bit of a pessimistic outlook and i'm a bit of a realist and i'll explain to you what i mean by that is the ritual of wearing clothes is shared among humanity on a daily basis we still have to put on clothes whether we're in the house or outside of the house for our zoom calls or to run to a grocery store yes. so for me um to manage a brand today it, it really comes down to creating clothes that people want to wear and in order to understand that, that means you have to understand what your consumer wants. So it's not, and, and it's not just about, from the branding perspective, a presence on social media or just having a website. It's, mm -hmm. I'm now talking what you guys do the best, which is daily insights, customer journey, short and long-term goals, measuring intent, sentiment, and the list goes on. Uh, this is why the technology is slowly taking over in many aspects of the fashion industry is because everything is so data driven. And when I launched expats um, brand, and that was a collaborative brand between Russian and American designers, mm. I wanted to create like a peace fashion peace bridge between the cultures. Um, I did that launch uh, last fall by connecting with clients uh, by showing up where they are in Moscow in person. And so for me, that was an, ex an ex kind of an ex exciting experience. Just, you know, I'm lost for words because I saw the reactions firsthand towards the designs, towards my brand. Uh, but that was not enough to sell the clothes. So at the end of the day, it really comes down to building the right e-commerce ecosystem and connecting the advertisement models with your e-commerce, with your audience insights, with proper storytelling on social media. And still, that might not be enough. You might have to engage influencers. You might have to do some story pitching and press releasing, maybe collaboration to do some cross promotions and, you know, a variety of options. And yeah. in the end, that still might not be enough, right? There, there, there is, brands to, go ahead. 
No, well, there is no silver bullet, I think, is the moral of the story, right? There is no silver bullet that guarantees success. Uh, we're seeing, as you say, like the, you know, the, the ability to deliver insights, both about your own brand and what you're doing, but also around your competitors, so you know what's happening. You know, there's no point in saying last year, let's take this year as a, you know, out of the question, but last year we increased sales by 20%, but actually the market as a whole increased by 40. You know, that's a bit of a false economy, economy to be reporting that you'd increased. And, you, know, you need to be able to dive into the detail, look into the data and really understand what's going on. We're seeing a massive push for people requiring some genuine brand affinity, but to the, to the values of a brand, not just to the stories they're getting told through a very large influencer, for example. You know, the, the reach of an influencer is only so powerful. You also then need to have the right message as well. And yeah, I think that the brands that really begin to incorporate that messaging and that ability to, to talk about the value of their brand directly with the consumer are going to begin to, uh, to see some success coming out of the and um, kind of to dis help you help us distill this question it's a tough question right and, and you're right there's there's no silver bullet but there's one thing that i've noticed having been in this industry for 15 years is that no matter what no matter how financially secure your brand is or you're just starting out etc talent always finds its audience if you are a talented designer or a talented brand uh, or a team of designers, you will succeed because you have something new to, to give you, something unique to offer to, to consumers. Everything else ultimately will fall into place if you just continue on on your journey um, as, as a designer. So many give up early on because of either impatience or lack of funds. But I just want to say you don't need a lot of money to get your talent out there. And the, the, the internet will do the rest. Trust the process. Yeah, the odds are stacked against you, but it makes it worthwhile in the end. I agree. Yeah, I think you're, this takes us full circle back to the start of the podcast where we said that we're going to have to keep the masks on for a while and hope to, to quell the spread in the interim. But um, yeah, thank you, Stefan, for joining me today. Uh, I appreciate this has been sort of sandwiched in between the wildfires, a bit of coronavirus and you heading up to New York for your birthday celebration. So yeah, thank, thank you, you so much. Really appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Fashion Talks. For more content like this, feel free to visit our blog or tune in next time for more industry advice.